0: Hi, everyone. Our World Bank EdTech team is speaking with educators globally to learn how they're innovating. Today, you're listening to part two of a two-part conversation with Yves Pooney, Senior Scientist and Deputy Head of the Unit at the European Commission Joint Research Center in Seville, Human Capital and Employment Unit, moderated by World Bank Senior Education Specialist, Cristobal Kobo. Part two, today's episode, focuses on the potential of digital technologies to innovate education and training practices in the European context. Part one of the conversation, an earlier episode, focuses on the potential of digital technologies to innovate education and training practices and improve access to lifelong learning for employment, personal development and social inclusion. This is Cristóbal Alcobo, senior education technology specialist at the World Bank, and we are delighted to have back our colleague Yves Pune, senior scientist and deputy head of the unit at the European Commission Joint Research Center in Seville, Spain. We, in the previous podcast, were talking about employability, skills recognition, microlearning nano opportunities for developing new capacities. And now we will dive into the world of education, which is a field of a lot of interest for many of our listeners. And I think Yves is in quite a strategic position because he and his team develop a very large portfolio of initiatives in the context of the center that he leads. Now, tell
1: us a little bit some of these frameworks and instruments. Thanks a lot, Christabel. And the pleasure again to be with you for the second part of the podcast series. We do have quite an ample portfolio of research on education and especially on digital education and digital skills. But this is certainly not done by myself alone. No? so I have quite a significant team behind me. and very pleased with all these excellent people working with me. We attend 10, 12 people working on these issues. So that means we can address a larger portfolio than one person could do. So just to highlight that we started working on this 15 years ago, in 2005, on digital skills and digital education. 21st century skills. We have more than 100 publications in the area. But now, most recently, we developed what we call digital competence frameworks. The three most important ones in relation to digital are the DIGCOMP framework, the digital competence framework for individuals. The DIGCOMP EDU is the digital competence framework for educators, for teachers, and the DIGCOMP ORG, which is the conceptual framework for educational organizations, for schools, for example, to help them deal with the digital transformation and to help them deal with making more effective use of digital technologies for better learning and teaching. And that led to the SELFIE project, and I will come back to SELFIE in a second. So basically, what we try to argue here is that with these three frameworks, we actually have quite a comprehensive approach. Because the DigComp is focused on individuals, on learners. The Dichkamp EDU is focused on teachers, educators. And the ORG and SELFIE is focused on schools and educational organizations we try to, with this kind of comprehensive approach, tackle all the levels that are actually needed to do that so difficult digital transformation of education and training systems and practices as well. But in addition, we've also a number of studies looking at emerging new technologies and their implications for education. We also did a number of foresight reports in the past in 2011, so almost 10 years ago we released a report on the future of learning, preparing for change, where we actually highlighted things which is you see still very much around today, saying that learning is becoming more social, more personalized, more collaborative, changing the paradigm from knowledge acquisition and transfer to co-creation, putting the user at the center, emphasizing collaboration, personalized learning. More recently also, we made a report on artificial intelligence and education, one on makerspaces and the way they can facilitate learning. Most recently, we released a report on emerging technologies and the teaching profession, where we try to highlight ethical and pedagogical considerations related to emerging technologies that can impact the teaching profession in the future. This relates to what we also discussed in the first podcast, related to automation. Algorithms to be used in education as well, and there we really need to discuss ethical considerations. One of the key issues in this report, which we try to raise, is who takes the decision on a pedagogical issue? Is it the machine, the algorithm, or is it the teacher? And we developed for that the concepts which we call teacher in the loop, where when it is high-stakes decision, the teacher has to be in the loop and under full control. Maybe for other type of pedagogical decisions, the teacher can have an overview but doesn't have to decide. Teacher over the loop. And then there is the notion of teacher out of the loop, where for low probability and low impact issues, the technology can make decisions and suggestions. And Selfie? Yes, of course. Selfie is an online self-reflection tool that we developed to help schools deal with the digital transformation and to help them make more effective and better use of digital technologies. So this is a self-reflection tool for schools. And the beautiful thing about the Selfie tool is that actually it has to be done by teachers, by students also, and by headmasters. So the aim is to get a full view by all the actors involved. Selfie is not a survey. We're not asking people how they use digital technologies, but actually the items which are developed in the self-reflection tool, are for the school so to be done by the school leaders the teachers and the students and to be used by them so they also own the data it's a tool for them not a tool for as researchers that's a fundamental difference and actually that generates then a report a selfie report which enables schools to look at what are their strengths what are their weaknesses and then to develop an action plan to see okay let's maybe we see that we have very few activities in our school on security and privacy issues, things we have been overlooking. Now, Selfie helps you to highlight these, and then you can say, okay, let's now work and develop an action plan so that our security and privacy is better developed in the future. And so this is a bit of philosophy behind Selfie. And Selfie is available in more than 35 languages already. We have almost 700,000 users. It's free, of course, customizable. And we are developing now a version for vocational education and training, but the work-based learning part of it. So these kind of systems where actually students partly are in school and partly are doing stages and experiences in companies. We are now developing a specific version of Selfie to also cater for that kind of context. Awesome. It is a tool to help schools to become aware of what they need to do. They can then develop an action plan. And then, of course, more activities have to be developed. Resources have to be developed that help schools implement the action plan the selfie report can be used for schools helping each other and this is something we want to promote to develop networks of schools which through selfie report start collaborating and talking to each other and helping each other and to develop also community of practice which we have with the uh, we would also like to have this kind of an ecosystem to be developed around the selfie uh, for schools this is something that is, we are now only initiating and obviously we need to do it together with all the partners, but this is something which we would like to promote more in the future.
0: And I think the instruments also are open access for
1: people to have a look Obviously, up. Selfie is freely free, open access uh, to be used now. For the Selfie, you need a register, that's true, but then it's completely open and free to be used and deused. And actually in a number of countries, for example, here in Spain and Andalusia, where we are based, we're based in Sevilla, they're using Selfie as part of their plan for the digital transformation of schools saying to schools okay if you use selfie you use that report and based on that report we can have a discussion and we can then start to help you also improve and if you need more resources we can also help you with that so it is also used as part of the action plan for policymakers. and i have to say that i love the name i don't know who came with that (laughs) name but it's such a wise name (laughs) thank you thank you i mean it's literally taking a selfie and trying to understand where you are but there is a full name behind it but anyway thank you Super super good So let's go into a
0: topic that a lot of our colleagues are extremely interested, which is the digital competence for educators. You have developed this framework and now has been implemented for a number of years already now in many of the European countries. So based on your experience, what has been the most effective way of developing these capacities among educators?
1: Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Christophe. We indeed have the DigComp Edu framework, which published it in November 2017. I think it has more than 40,000 unique downloads already. It has also been translated in many, many languages as well by local stakeholders, not by us. And it consists of six competence areas, 22 competences and six proficiency levels. And it seems to really reply to a need from education systems, from schools, from stakeholders, that our teachers and educators need to develop the digital competence to be able to use digital technologies for their teaching practices, for learning and for assessment as well. So we're very pleased, as I said in the first podcast, it's nice to have a conceptual framework. It's useful, but you need to make it also concrete and put it into practice. And for that, we are developing a self-reflection tool for educators. It's a very simple questionnaire following the framework, which allows educators to self-reflect and to self-assess where they stand in the use of these technologies so that they can understand their strengths and weaknesses, and then look for training opportunities, and maybe also get these kind of trainings recognized in their career path, for example. So self-reflection is an approach that we try to promote a lot. Now, this is easier said than done, and we are investing a lot of time and energy in developing a fully validated self-reflection tool. You can put up a number of questions out there and people can use them, but you need to test it, you need to pilot it with teachers. And we do psychromatic kind of analysis. You revise the questionnaire, you develop a new version, you test it again, so that at a certain point in time you have a tool, an instrument that is scientifically sound and valid and conceptually also well developed. That's what we are doing now. And actually we hope to release by next year, similar to selfie, a new self-reflection tool for educators, for school teachers at the European level, and all the languages, based on the DIGCOMP-EDU framework. In the meantime, because people are also impatient, of course, and I understand, we have an experimental check-in tool, we call it, on the internet available also, which can also be used for higher education, which is actually used in Spain, but also in a lot of Latin American countries and higher education, as well uh, as a kind of experimental trial to make the DIGCOMP-EDU framework also more concrete so we see there a lot of interest and a lot of use of this kind of self-reflection tools for educators. They have a motivational purpose. This is not self-assessment. There is a difference between self-reflection and assessment. We don't want to necessarily assess what our teachers can do and know. What we want them to understand, what they need to know and to understand their strengths and weaknesses. If they understand that, then they would also be interested and motivated to improve them. That's why we try to promote more self-reflection as an effective way than pure assessment of our teachers, because assessment is, of course, a bit scary. The psychological impact of that is also different. So that's why our approach goes more into, and the European approach goes more into the self-reflection approach. That's
0: great, because it doesn't sound like a straitjacket that you have to force to reach some standards. So when educators are planning to prepare the coming generations, what should be the priority? How to juggle with these technical, quickly changing capacities and these more profound and deeper competencies?
1: It should not be a question of priority, the one or the other kind of approach. And my view would be that these need to go hand in hand. On the one hand, obviously, you need to promote and develop technical skills. By the way, they also need to be updated continuously. As you say, technology evolves fast and then you know from one application to the other, so the technical skills need to be updated continuously. Uh, But what we need, hand-in-hand, is a more profound understanding and development of the basic cognitive capacities that everybody needs to have. These are crucial, and unfortunately, we see also some alarming numbers related to that. Even sometimes in the basic reading skills, basic maths, language skills, and the science subjects, that even in the European context, there was recently released what is called the Education and Training Monitor, which monitors these kind of things throughout Europe. It was said there that almost 20% of 15-year-old pupils across Europe, they still remain quite low in terms of basic cognitive competences and skills in literacy, mathematics, and science subjects. So we need to work on these. This is priority. This is fundamental and necessary. This should go hand in hand with the update of the technical skills. Very often people think about our young people as digital natives. We know that this is wrong or let's say that we know from the ISILS International Computer and Information Literacy Survey, that actually young people do not necessarily have these kind of critical digital skills, which are needed for learning. They have the technical skills to do things, but they underperform in terms of a broader understanding of digital skills. This is something we need to work on as a key priority we have to look at.
0: You mentioned earlier the ethical competencies, which I think is a perfect example of how we have to connect and not prioritize because we want to offer an integral kind of education. So thank you for that. You and your team have been for a number of years and have been a close follower of the work that you have done on open educational resource and also open educational practices. And I think the pandemic has been a key moment to understand whether that has been taken off or not. You would expect that now when many school systems around the world are closed, and I'm not only referring to European context, this could be a tremendous opportunity for open educational practices, for delivering quality content, but also for teachers and students to use other resources that are available online to develop other capacities of the self-learning capacity of the metacognition that you were mentioning. Do you think that we have made the best of this opportunity to land into these so-called OEP, open educational practices?
1: Unfortunately, I would think not yet. It is true and I agree with you that again now a huge opportunity is emerging related to OERs and sharing of OERs and of open education practices. And we need it now even more than ever with the implications of the pandemic and with the closure of the schools and the shift to digital and online learning. But unfortunately, I do not see a lot of progress happening in that area or let's say not enough progress happening in the area not in Europe and maybe also not around the world neither. Obviously, there has been very important work of UNESCO. The OER recommendation has been recently adopted. The political support is there. Stakeholders agree that it's important. But when you look at what is happening in schools and practices, then you see still that this is not yet taking off sufficiently. And that's, of course, a major concern and very, very unfortunate, especially now. With the COVID implications on education, every school almost all over the world is struggling, is trying to make the best of using the resources available to make sure that their students keep on learning. If each school is doing that, they can share resources and learn from each other. Also teachers sharing educational practice and educational pedagogies is a huge opportunity, which I think also there may be policymakers should try to promote such collaborations much stronger. Because that's a win-win situation, for sure. Uh, And that, unfortunately, is not yet happening. Unfortunately, the crisis can also be an opportunity. And let's hope that more work can be done there and this can be improved. Because the opportunity is there, but much more needs to be done.
0: That sounds like an open agenda for policymakers to reflect on. And maybe in the coming future, we can invite you again and see whether this thing has been of bad use in the closing of this, hopefully soon, closing uh, pandemic. Yeah. So if you have mentioned all these resources, and I'm sure people who are listening might be interested to learn more and test the selfie and explore the digital comm framework and learn more of the experiences, what would be your advice for people to reach out?
1: They are freely available. They're under open source, they're under open license, so people can try them out, can use them, can adapt them. Also for a non-European context, so, you know, they need to be adapted and contextualized, no? But they are freely available uh, to be used, so everything is available on the internet. And we can also share some of the links attached to the podcast, so people can look for them, and they can freely use, reuse, experiment, and use them as far as they like and as far as they see needed. Obviously, we would like to promote that because this is what we want to achieve.
0: Thank you for offering all these resources with open license and also in many cases in a number of different languages. So that makes things much easier for countries who might be interested. So, if before we close, we always invite our speakers to share with us one book that they would like to highlight or recommend to our listeners.
1: Yes, I would actually like to refer to the work of Carlota Perez, mm. who is from Venezuela, British researcher on technological revolutions and financial crisis and social institutional change. Carlota Perez has extremely interesting work because actually she looks at technology and technological revolutions from an historical point of view. So actually she's looking at this for the last 250 years, mm. starting with the first industrial revolution in the 18th century, and looking at the different technological revolutions during these 250 years she identified five different technological revolutions and today of course he's arguing that we are in the ICT the information society revolution this work it already exists for quite some time already but what is very very interesting and i think is even relevant for today because what she argues is that each revolution goes through a certain pattern where first there is a start development hype then very often or almost there is a turning point with crisis, also financial crisis. And then after the crisis, there is a deployment phase and the start of a new golden age, what she calls it. And I think that's extremely interesting because even today, and she has been giving interviews recently also on the topic, trying to give a positive message that after the pandemic, which we are experiencing now, we might get into the deployment and the start of a new age, which would be the more smart, the green, and the fair global growth approach, but that only on the condition, and that is so interesting in her work, I find, is that she highlights the importance of government policy and intervention there. Otherwise, this is not possible. Government policy and intervention needs to happen to make sure that this kind of positive evolution uh, can happen. I find this very, very interesting in the work from Carlota Perez.
0: And incredibly timely. So thank you for recommending Incredibly me.
1: timely, exactly. <laughs> I will definitely have a
0: look at it. And before we finish, any call to action for our listeners in these difficult times, in, in times of reflection, but also transitions, any call for an aftermath after this conversation?
1: Yes. For me, what is really key is to learn from each other. Learn from each other. Do not reinvent the wheel. Exchange. Share. Be prepared to fail and experiment. But act, do. I mean, a call for action is undertake action. But really, really that. Learn from each other. Do not reinvent the wheel. Exchange and share with others so that we all become better uh, and more effective in what we're trying to achieve. Fantastic. Yves Founi, thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot. Take care. Ciao.